Welcome to Open Banking Expo Unplugged, bringing you the brightest minds in open banking, open finance and beyond. Hello and welcome to another episode of Open Banking Expo Unplugged. I'm Ellie Duncan, Head of Content at Open Banking Expo, and today I'm really pleased to be joined by Matt Mitka, who is the Regional Director of FData in Australia and New Zealand. Um, Matt uh, joins me to kind of give us a bit of an update, really, about what's what's going on in Australia in terms of the consumer data right, or, or CDR, as it's better known. Uh, his own experience is um, in sort of the tech ethics space. So he can talk a lot on data ethics, ethical design and, and consumer trust. And in fact, Matt uh, worked uh, quite closely with uh, Nathan Kinch, who we had on the podcast last year. Uh, Nathan is the CEO of Greater Than Experience. And uh, Matt was working behind the scenes on, on that for some time. So I'm sure he'll fill us in on, on all of that. Matt, welcome to the podcast. Ellie, thank you. It's great to be here. Look, let's start off with a bit more about your background. Uh, perhaps you can build out some of the, the gaps there that, that I've, I've left out. Uh, we do have a, a kind of global audience. So, yeah, fill us in on your background and, and also kind of the work you've done in Australia to date. Challenging question. I've got, a, I guess, a bit of a diverse background, and I'm not going to give you the whole origin story. Early school lever in my teens, but ended up in construction for several years as a kind of bricklayer and builder and ended up having a developing a keen interest in molecular biology and genetics in my late teens decided to go back to school and went back to finish off my high school in at a college in my early 20s uh, but didn't end up as a biochemical engineer which is what I wanted to do and um, ended up studying communications and social sciences and that's where I developed a pretty keen interest in uh, information communications technologies and information flows and how that influenced people's behavior and uh, society and how power is distributed. And that's where it took me down a bit of a rabbit hole. That was 15 odd years ago now. And I ended up uh, doing having a bit of a stint as an investigative journalist um, working on some documentaries and uh, video journalism that never really panned out. And uh, later on, I ended up starting working on a peer-to-peer -peer social data wallet. Um, and that was in 2013. That was where a lot of my interest in digital identity and technologies and the benefits that come when people have more meaningful control over the data that's generated about them or by them. And that was a bit of a side project. I was working as a general manager, uh, helping to set up a the Australia's first entrepreneurial college here in Sydney. Uh, did that for a couple of years, then went on and became head of platform product at Miko, which is a personal information management startup uh, that's been around for quite some time uh, since about 2012 I think Katrina uh, Dow her name is um, who's the CEO and, and founder there got started um, that's where I met Nathan Kinch he was the head of experience design at the time 
and we did worked on some really exciting projects there. It was very early in the piece, I guess, for digital identity and personal information management um, and, and the personal data ecosystem, although it was kind of talked about in, at a policy level um, and academically it, didn't, it hadn't really taken off. Uh, it was hard to really gauge what the commercial benefits were going to be. I then left there and went and worked as a head of product and growth at a cryptocurrency exchange here in Australia, um, also leading their innovation lab projects, uh, particularly around uh, digital identity and blockchain. Nathan Kinch eventually convinced me to come and join forces with him to to help him build out Greater Than X. And we ran that and um, worked on some really exciting projects, uh, helped lay the foundations for the CX guidelines um, and standards for consumer data right here in Australia, as well as uh, open banking in the UK uh, with the open bank work with the open banking implementation entity, as well as, a, yeah, a foray into a, a lot of work on operationalizing data ethics with Fortune 500 companies and from tech companies to banks. That ended up, we shifted a bit of our focus and worked, start, launched a learning platform called Greater Than Learning. That was a couple of years ago. Uh, that transformed a little bit into a social venture, uh, which is now called Tethix, uh, focusing on helping people to reimagine um, and create technologies that benefit humanity. So create where we're working on a virtual, a virtual training ground, essentially, to help people uh, learn about this stuff. And two months ago, I basically uh, started discussions or just over two months ago, started discussions uh, to to uh, take over Jamie Leach's role um, as the regional director here for FData um, ANZ. And yeah, that I, I was really excited about the opportunity to help shape um, the direction of CDR, which is something that I've been interested in and passionate about for some uh, time since first reading the Productivity Commission's report here into data availability and use where the, CDR, the seeds of the CDR are essentially planted as a concept. So yeah, it's really exciting to be helping industry and different stakeholders to, to shape direction and work through some of the, the challenges um, uh, that we're facing on such a beautifully ambitious initiative that the, the consumer data right is. Yeah, it really is quite ambitious, actually. And and I guess that kind of brings me on nicely to to my next question. So you've landed, as you say, F data been there just just a couple of months um or certainly not very long right so i know that we've had one one of your european colleagues on the podcast previously to kind of tell us a bit more about what fdata is doing in in europe so that was gela boscovich so she talked to us a bit about psd2 um you know upcoming psd3 and and kind of some of the regulation in europe so so how does FDATA's work in Australia and New Zealand compare? Yeah, that's a, a great question. And Gela's uh, fan- fantastic. She's extremely knowledgeable, well-spoken on a lot of the challenges uh, that, that need to be worked through in, in, in Europe uh, with open banking and open finance. Australia and New Zealand's situation is uniquely different purely because of the scope of of the regulatory and industry reforms that are taking place. Um, and consumer data right uh, is these kind of across the whole sector. So open banking is the first cab off the rank, so to speak, with a sector designation. 
and then into open finance. It's now with energy. The telecommunications sector is next and then so on and so forth into kind of open X as it's now being termed. So the scope is kind of what really changes it compared to directives like in Europe with um, PSD 2 and 3. These are have similarities because of the changes that are required to take place. I mean, you've got the regulatory and policy side that comes from governments, but it's also the a lot of IT and digital transformation that's required to stand up APIs, work through and define standards and guidelines for how these things need to work. I guess in in the in Europe, you've got I guess a, a, a lots of different member states as part of the European Union that need to kind of come to uniform agreement around how they implement things nationally within their jurisdictions. Whereas here in Australia and New Zealand, we've got, um, you know, set two distinct jurisdictions. The banking sector being first, one of the key differences is, is that it was, it's only read access, like as the first step. Um, so different to like open banking in the UK, for instance, which which was account information, read access, as well as payment initiation. Um, we don't we don't have payment initiation, or or what's now what's been termed here is called action initiation. So it's a general set of actions uh, as as an instruction layer. That's another key difference. So where we, how we've started even is is distinctly different. New Zealand, on the other hand, um, has the API center with Payments New Zealand. Um, so open banking um, and open finance has momentum there already. They have a payment initiation API um, that comes out of the API center. However, the, the government there has put forward that they're, they're going to do something similar to Australia with a consumer data right in New Zealand. Um, and the bill's currently being uh, drafted at the moment, anticipated maybe to to be uh, uh, published uh, later this year. So yeah, that kind of key differences that just the scope is different, and and as well just the different governing bodies and things like that involved. Yeah, I, I, that's interesting to hear as well that, that that New Zealand is is kind of following in Australia's footsteps there. I, and I guess you know that makes sense, doesn't it? Right, you don't you're kind of so so close geographically i guess you kind of want to be aligned when it comes to to cdr right right yeah i mean that's an interesting part of this um trend you know the the sea that divides the two nations is called the tasman and we, we talk of the trans tasman divide or trans tasman collaboration or trans tasman uh, uh trade relationships and I think harmonization across the two ecosystems, across the two jurisdictions is, is definitely very beneficial for the fintech ecosystems, for instance, that can operate in both, uh, but also for trade um, and for Australian and New Zealand consumers and citizens. Um, so I think there's, there's a great opportunity for the two nations to actually kind of go through shared learning. New Zealand obviously has a, an opportunity to learn from uh, some of the pitfalls and mistakes uh, from uh, Australia, which I'm hoping to be able to help them on in, in that journey. But it's, yeah, it's a, there's, there's a great opportunity here and a great opportunity for other jurisdictions across the world to you know, not be the guinea pigs for s- such ambition. Yeah, well, talking about kind of some of those pitfalls, I guess, 
you know, when I when I had Nathan Kinch on, on the podcast and, and we also uh, I also spoke to Rob Hale uh, back in 2021 and Jamie Leach, actually. And at that point, I think that that I was speaking to them. So possibly sort of first half of 2021. It seemed at that stage that a number of the the larger sort of high streets, if you like, banks had embraced CDR, but but others had obviously been a little bit slower on the uptake there. So so can you kind of update us on, on what the state of play is there in, in Australia and New Zealand now? Yeah, I guess like here in Australia, we we had the, the big four banks, these, I guess, you know, comparative to the high street banks that were first to, you know, essentially be mandated to uh, have open APIs available for read access to account information data, for instance, product information data and, and transaction data. Because it's a, you know, I think coming from a, uh, we're forced, we have to comply. There's a little bit of inertia to overcome, I think, at the start, but that eventually, it eventually got going. Then we've had all the rest of the banks, so customer-owned banks, for instance, mutuals, building societies, the smaller banks that are, have also come on board, and they, their the obligations for compliance with those were several months ago, and there was a lot of oversight in how that would take place. Uh, for instance, here in Australia and likewise in other jurisdictions, smaller banks don't always have their own infrastructure. So here in Australia, you've got all the banking as a service uh, providers that provide the core banking infrastructure. And that was probably overlooked uh, to some degree from the, the regulators and the governing bodies around, well, yeah, it's all good and well to us like a multi-billion dollar um, bank like the Commonwealth Bank to get this stuff stood up um, and comply and go through the IT work that's that's required to provide the APIs and, and do the security. But for a smaller, like a mutual bank, um, a, a member-owned bank, it's actually they're called banking providers that need to be up to standard. And I think that contributed a lot to delays and things like that. But we've got all of those banks up and running now. There's over 100 uh, of those um, data holders, essentially, that, that are participating and have their APIs available. New Zealand's a little bit different um, because of the, the work that has come out of the API Centre at Payments New Zealand. They essentially adopted uh, OBIE standards and those there's been adoption from the fintechs, the banks, um, uh, you know, get it, have gotten... Uh, their APIs um, up and running to facilitate ecosystem, the ecosystem around them. So it's been a little bit slow. Um, I mean, considering the the past two years when CDR here in Australia went go live, um, which was the, the 1st of July, two years ago, we've gone through the pandemic. There's been lots of disruption. So I think considering all that, Australia's done extraordinarily well to to get such complexity um, work through such complexity and, and get things up and running. In terms of the data recipient side, getting access to the data like these, similar to the TPPs in in the UK, we've got twenty odd active participants that are providing things like personal financial management and kind of accounting aggregation services, intermediaries that are providing infrastructure to to other providers to connect to the data holders. 
and then you know another 10 or so uh more that aren't that are accredited but not active yet within the ecosystem so there's there's been a, a lot of progress i would say that the banks the banks initially weren't thinking about this strategically it was i think seen as a threat um, bigger organizations tend to be a little bit more risk averse so it's understandable that providing apis and services to enable your customers to easily switch to another uh, another bank is probably you know uh, immediately you're going to raise raise some uh, red flags and drive a little bit of fear and anxiety within a, within a, a large bank but i think now they're thinking about it a little bit more strategically as rather than being the controller of the customer and the data and the services that get provided to those customers that they can build ecosystems around them um, so i think you're seeing much more strategic clarity coming out of the the banks for instance around the opportunities that are created by something like cdr yeah you mentioned as well earlier i mean it was kind of a familiar story i guess with with some of those larger banks being a little bit more hesitant perhaps um seeing open banking or CDR as it is there as, as a threat. Uh, but you mentioned earlier, you know, obviously New Zealand is is um, kind of hoping to, to follow in Australia's footsteps and and the fact that they have a chance to kind of learn from, from some of those perhaps early mistakes that were made um, in Australia. What, what, what are those kind of main pitfalls that, that you think they stand to learn from in New Zealand? Yeah, that's a, it's a really good, question and i think the the main lesson there's there's a couple of interconnected lessons here the first one is that being clear about what are their what are the consumer outcomes that you're going to enable by uh regulating and creating these type of ecosystems around open api standards and how are you going to measure that and including including diverse stakeholders consumer advocates um industry uh, academia to actually define those outcomes and I think including people in the process of defining those things up front um, wasn't really done. We've got a benefits realization program that's running here at the moment in Australia that's that's being funded and it's a little bit of a why, why is this taking place now after you know uh, over a billion dollars of public and private money has been invested in in into this uh, ecosystem. So being clear up front, including people in the process about what is the outcomes that we're really trying to enable. Uh, like if we're talking about competition, like what type of competition, how are we gonna measure that? Um, if we're talking about meaningful consumer control over data, like what is that? How are we gonna measure it? And none of, I don't think any of those things were clear up front. It's been a little bit hodgepodge in that sense. The CX Workstream, for instance, coming out of the data standards body was was kind of brought in a little bit late into the evolution here uh, after the technical and security standards had already started evolving. So, yeah, I mean, that's that's one of the key lessons uh, being clear up front and including people in the process is defining the, the outcomes that you're you're working towards and what success actually looks like. And as well, which is connected to this is probably thinking about um, an open data innovation hub or a CDI innovation hub that that is more like a sandbox environment um, that enables uh, consumer outcome um, and engagement to be focused on that 
that provides for flexibility from a regulatory perspective to understand well, what are the rules that we need to put in place to, to be able to regulate this type of ecosystem because this has never been done before. You, you're basically forging a new path as well as the technical components that can enable uh, discovery and innovation to, to be explored. That type of shared learning context and environment, um, not being, that not being created as a space for shared learning across diverse stakeholders has created a whole bunch of unnecessary mistakes and costs. And this, this was you know, things that, for instance, me and Nathan um, were pushing for years ago, H- to the regulators, you should. This is what you should do. It's not too late to do that, but I think those shared learning environments are extremely important purely because of the complexity. No one, no single parties know how to really design for these things. You need to bring diverse stakeholders together to kind of figure this stuff out and explore it. Um, having um, technocrats and bureaucrats and lawyers defining rules for these things, I don't think is that effective. They need to define rules, but they need to they need to understand really how it needs to work and test and experiment um, from a regulatory perspective uh, so that you don't create unnecessary complexity because every rule that comes uh, has a cost somewhere. And to a large extent, that cost is ultimately born and and... Um, is put on the end user, the consumer. So yeah, they're they're they're, they're kind of some of the the key key lessons. There's there's lot lots more granular stuff, but uh, from a you know other jurisdictions thinking about this, this is this is probably they're, they're two of the thing key things they should be thinking about. Yeah, and what then? What do you think will accelerate kind of global multi stakeholder learning on on open banking and, and open finance because. It seems like from what you said, you know, kind of different jurisdictions are, are obviously working on their own version of this, but but even globally, there could be more of a, a kind of opportunity for sharing some of that that innovation and those learnings, couldn't there? Yeah, and there should be. I mean, if we, if we think about um, cross-jurisdictional data sharing, I mean, this is extremely important, like having having the ability to to transact interact across national borders is is going to be essential for our our kind of um our global network our global village to 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 really take shape and for that to benefit people so having networks of you know innovation hubs that are focused on open data uh type regulations technology standards is something that would really help and if you look at things like living labs where you enable uh, citizens or consumers to be uh, active participants in research and experimentation through technology where you have beha- behavioral data and data being shared, you know, and, and focusing on this inclusion piece where you're including citizens and consumers in the process of figuring out this stuff. That's that's really important to accelerate learning for all stakeholders, industry, you know, public and private sector stakeholders. You know, so in Europe, you've got the um, European network of living labs and it kind of ties, I guess, into this longer term play, which is interesting when you if if I compare Europe, for instance, to Australia, 
Europe's got longer consultation processes and exploration and, you know, you've got the horizon grants and things like that that take place to understand, well, what's the 10, 15, 30 year time horizons on these policy changes that we're looking to initiate? Here in Australia, we don't have that. So I think that like harmonizing jurisdictional regulations as well as uniform standards can be driven by these kind of learning hubs essentially you know we call them learning hubs or innovation hubs um, that are more holistic it's not just about technical sandboxes and hackathons it's actually about engaging lots of stakeholders helping regulators to learn how they you know essentially use the the levers of regulation to drive real change um, policy makers to, to be able to shape things in the right way, technical and engineering innovators, you know, designers, consumer advocates, civil society. I think that, uh, you know, it's, it's, they're complex um, uh, ways, but there, there's, lots of, there's lots of reference points for things, these things around like how to do proper civic, civic engagement or um, harnessing like collective intelligence tools to bring together diverse stakeholders, get perspectives, learn together, use machine learning to to aggregate and understand insights, points of contention. So I think globally there needs to be like a network of public and private sector stakeholders that are really focused on this. I don't think there there really is anything in place, and it shouldn't be driven by bodies like WEF or. Um, I think the existing institutions, there needs to be something that's created that is democratic at its core um, and has the right governance around it um, and is is seen as a learning network. Yeah, there's, there's definitely a, a gap there, I think. And look, something we haven't really talked so much about, which I know is, 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 a, is a big topic for you. So I uh, just kind of want to, to kind of pose a, a fairly quick question on this. But, you know, you I guess at the heart of, of the CDR is, is the consumer, really. So, so I'm interested in hearing from you about how trust and, um, and trustworthiness are relevant to this type of, of data sharing ecosystem, I, I suppose. How have you sought to build consumer trust um, in Australia in CDR? Yeah, that's a, a big a big question to wrap up quickly. Yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> I mean, trust versus trustworthiness, essentially coming down to trust is is such a variable outcome. You can't necessarily control for it. Um, Having people trust in the ecosystem requires that the participating bodies, the the companies, the fintechs, the banks, the governing bodies, the regulators are trustworthy. And what are those qualities of trustworthiness that are important to really bring to life? Like, you know, being clear about your intent, things that we were talking about before. What is the outcomes that you, you're trying to really enable, um, you know, working towards that, including people in the process of focusing on inclusion, being open and transparent about how you're doing it, acting with integrity, being fair, balanced, in, in how you're approaching these things, demonstrating that you're, you're competent um, in being able to deliver on the outcomes that you're promising. So if you look at these qualities of trustworthiness as the things that need to be signaled um, in the marketplace, you know, to consumers, consumers need to see this. They need to see the evidence of it for it to be successful as an ecosystem. And mm. th- those are the things that, like, they're absolutely crucial. Like, if we don't, 
if we don't have a trusted data sharing ecosystem uh, where consumers have this trust and confidence in infrastructure and the companies and mm-hmm. in, in the governance around it, it's, it's going to fail. Um, so, yeah, that, I think there needs to be more focus on what it actually means. And I think there's too much focus on trust and talking about trust versus, well, what are the qualities that, that we need to have within the ecosystem to, to be trusted? Um, and, and that's probably, that's probably the gist, the gist of it. How to do that, um, is it requires shifting behavior, behavior of organizations that are operating the government, governing bodies, how they go about, um, engaging industry, engaging citizens in the process. Uh, what are the incentives and measures that influence people's behavior? Have it, you know, questioning those, um, having the right ones to incentivize uh, the behaviors that, that are trustworthy they're, they're the things that need to be worked on and fdata's role as a kind of orchestrator and advocating for these things as a industry body is that's a big part of my focus in this role that i've taken up is you know how do we how do we create the conditions for these things to actually come to life across australia and new zealand within cdr well, maybe that's a, a discussion for a whole other podcast. I feel like uh, we've only just kind of touched the surface there. Um, but Matt, thank you so much for coming on today and and uh, for for talking us through kind of where Australia and, and New Zealand are at when it comes to CDR. And of course, hearing about your your new role at FData. Best of luck with that, of course. We'll be watching uh, closely here at Open Banking Expo. Uh, to see what comes out of that and 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 any developments over there so thank you wonderful thank you ellie it was it was great to to be able to have a conversation i look forward to the next one my thanks again to matt from fdata there and i know i referred back to a number of of guests that we'd had on on the podcast in the past talking about CDR and, and Australia so um jamie leach nathan kinch rob hale If you fancy going back in time a little bit to listen back to some of those episodes, then just check out the on-demand page of openbankingexpo.com. You'll find all the podcasts there. We've also had some great guests on far more recently, um, looking a little bit more closely at at other regions such as MENA, uh, Nigeria, where open banking is, is making great progress. So do listen back to those. That's all for now. Until next time, goodbye.